Okay, we're getting into the nitty-gritty now. We did an intro to 1 Corinthians the last time. And now we're going to get into an overview of the first chapter. Okay, In verse 1, we see Paul describe himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Just like he does in all of his letters. And we'll refrain from getting into the subject of uh, Paul as an apostle this morning because we exhausted that subject in our study of Acts and our study of Romans. So as we move on to the second part of verse 1, if you want to look at that, we see this guy mentioned, uh, the correct, correct pronunciation is Sosthenes, uh, Paul is with Sosthenes, and Paul calls him, quote-unquote, our brother, our brother. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his uh, well-known book, uh, Life Together, the title of the book said, quote, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. One more time. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The Apostle Paul, I want you to see, almost always had other Christians like Sosthenes around him who brought him strength and joy amidst his many, many trials that he encountered. Even when Paul was in the midst of his enemies, his Christian brothers and sisters were there. And that includes um, them ministering to him when he was in prison. They stuck by him. And why am I bringing this up? I mention it because I think we tend to take it for granted that we live among other Christians every day in this country. And with, with that said, I think we should keep in mind that not all Christians in the world are blessed like we are or blessed like Paul was in this regard. Some Christians in other countries, other parts of the world, are much more alone than we are. They are scattered, much more scattered, and many times um, they're battered amongst their governments and amongst the enemy. They don't have other Christians close by to comfort them like we do. We have a plethora of Christians in this country, to draw strength from. In Acts chapter 18, you don't have to go there, Crispus, our breakfast cereal character, was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth, where Paul was staying and working with his friends Priscilla and Aquila at at their vocation, their common vocation as tent makers. And Paul's preaching there was very effective. Not only did many Corinthians come to 
the faith, but Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue there in Acts 18, also became a Christian. So Crispus naturally leaves his position as the ruler of the synagogue when he becomes a Christian, and Sosthenes becomes the new ruler of the synagogue. And Sosthenes even opposes Paul in Acts 18. Then we see Paul mention him here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians as a believer. And when we do the research, we find that he too uh, was saved. So we have Crispus, the first ruler of the synagogue, get saved, and Sosthenes, the second ruler of the synagogue, gets saved. So as I said, the same Sosthenes that was the ruler of the synagogue in Acts is now a Christian with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Their common Christianity obviously has made them friends, whereas before they were at odds. So, what's the point? Paul, Paul's evangelism and the evangelism of those around him was quite effective, especially in Corinth. Paul was cranking out new Christians like a Model T Ford assembly line. If you've ever seen a video of the Model T's coming off the assembly line, um, pretty incredible stuff. Anyway, film, I should say. It would have been a film. There are quite a few Christians today who tell me that they don't have any Christian friends to strengthen them and bring them joy like Paul, Paul's friends did for him. Quite frankly, if one doesn't have Christian friends today in the United States of America, it's probably because they haven't put forth the effort to make any Christian friends. Why do I say that? Well, simply because it's easy to make uh, Christian friends in the society that we live in. It's easy to make Christian friends in the churches that we attend, especially a church like ours because of our size. There's no reason why anyone who attends a body and grace church shouldn't have Christian friends. It takes a little determination to cultivate a friendship with a brother or sister in the Lord. And if people are willing to put forth that effort, I promise you that you will find your fellowship with other Christians to be very beneficial to you and your Christian walk, just like it was for Paul and his Christian life. Think about it. Here's this great Christian man who was pegged by God to write two-thirds of the New Testament, and even he needed and greatly benefited from the other Christians around him. With that said, what makes us think that we can be exempt from the very same need to cultivate Christian friendships? What makes us think that we can be 
Lone, Lone Ranger Christians. Just something to think about as we look at the Apostle Paul and his friends, Aquila, Priscilla, Crispus, Sosthenes, and we're going to see many others as we go through 1 Corinthians. And please don't confuse, folks, Christian friends with Christian acquaintances. Acquaintances don't typically meet your needs. They, they, they just say hello and goodbye as they move on past you uh, through the foyer and out the door into the parking lot to their car. Christian friends are what we should seek, not necessarily Christian acquaintances. All right, let's move on from Sosthenes and Paul's friends to some exegesis of the text. And again, this is going to be an overview of chapter 1. We're going to get more deeply in, into exegeting these verses next, next week, okay? The first thing that I want you to see here in chapter 1, and this is something you should commit to memory, Jesus is mentioned 15 times in the first 17 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 15 times in 17 verses. I'd say that's pretty significant, wouldn't you? As a matter of fact, I would say that Paul's main focus is to get the Corinthians to see that Jesus Christ is their salvation, their righteousness, and their Lord. And as such, they should be united in him, Paul says. United in what? One faith that is exemplified by love toward one another. Weekly one another, love one another. It's in 1 Corinthians 1. And church, we need to meditate on the fact and on the meaning of what it means for us here at Abiding Grace Church, to be together as one body, united in one faith, and what it means for us to love one another as Christ has loved us. We need to meditate on that and think about it. Now, we know from history that Paul, although he was somewhat successful in getting the Corinthian church to recognize their errors and change their ways, we know that years later, some of their old habits arose yet again. We know this because Clement of Rome, okay, wrote a famous letter to the Corinthians 40 years after, or 40 years later, after Paul, and he had to deal with some of the same issues in that letter. This is because Clement, by the way, was the bishop of Rome from 88 to 99 AD when he was finally martyred by having an anchor tied around his waist and having been thrown into the sea to drown. There's strong evidence historically that Clement was actually taught by Peter 
and Paul, and that he is the same Clement mentioned in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, if you want to, on, on your own, look that up in your Bible. I highly recommend, folks, that you read his letter to the Corinthians, which is also online for free, Clement's letter to the Corinthians. Clement's letter to the Corinthians was so popular that it was read publicly in most churches before the first canon of scripture was agreed upon. And parts of the letter were actually used in the early church's liturgy. In addition, Clement's letter to the Corinthians was viewed and read as scripture in many eastern regions of Christendom. It was actually included in the 5th century Codex Alexandrius, which contained Clement's letter as scripture along with the entire Old and New Testament books that we know today. Now let me be clear. <laughs> I'm not trying to make a case in any way, shape, or form for the authenticity of Clement's letter as scripture. I do not believe that Clement's letter was scripture or should have even been included in the first canon. Okay? I'm trying to make a case here for the authenticity of Clement's letter so that you can see that the Corinthian church had authentic, real problems, problems that had to be addressed by Paul in our text and by Clement 40 years later. You with me? Okay. With that said, I want you to see as we move into our text that just like the Corinthians... All churches have problems, whether they are churches in the 5th century or they are churches today. We all have people, just like the Corinthians, in our churches who at one time or another have to be recognized and dealt with either for habitual sin or for perhaps causing division in the church or for perhaps being in a backslidden state, just to name a few things, okay? It's important for us to see that we can deal with these same issues that Paul dealt with by addressing things the same way Paul addressed them. 1 Corinthians is a blueprint for addressing problems in the church. Now, as I said, Jesus is mentioned 15 times in 17 verses, let's look at this in more detail and see what we can learn from it. In verse 1, as we already saw, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not writing with some bogus credentials. No, uh, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the will of God the Father says that here, says that elsewhere. Paul's authority as an apostle is especially important here because he is about to admonish and reprimand the Corinthians. There's nothing worse than somebody who has no authority or clout trying to reprimand 
someone in a subject that they know nothing about. So it's kind of like this. If you're speeding through a parking lot and you get out to your car, or I'm sorry, you get out of your car to go in the store and another guy saw you speeding through the parking lot and comes up to you and says, hey man, you had better slow down. I saw how fast you were driving through the parking lot. And you might say to that guy, blow it out your ear, pal, and mind your own business, right? But if the guy came up to you in the parking lot, if he had um, a police uniform on with a gun on his hip, and you just saw him get out of a marked police car, okay, then you're not going to talk back to him. You're going to take the advice that he gives you and thank God that he didn't give you a ticket. Right? The Apostle Paul is like the police officer. He had a dramatic conversion experience where Jesus appeared to him, and everybody knew that. And they were aware that he went from um, imprisoning and killing Christians to being a Christian. <coughs> they were probably also aware of the many trials that Paul suffered. And all of that together gave Paul authoritative clout. Oh, and I forgot to mention, he was also a Pharisee, which should have given him clout amongst the Jews. Now, in verse 2, there are people that have been, quote, sanctified in Christ Jesus. The title of the sermon is, In Christ. Okay, in Christ Jesus. These people sanctified in Christ Jesus who are saints by God's call upon their lives. They're not saints by a decision that they made and an altar call. They're saints from God's call upon their lives. What does that mean? It means that as God's people, we are set apart in Christ Jesus from the dominion of sin. Think about that for a minute. Called, set apart from the dominion of sin in Christ Jesus. Sanctification means in this context of this chapter to be set apart in Christ unto God the Father. Okay? In verse 30, if you want to look at it, chapter 1, Verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul tells the Corinthians again that they are in Christ Jesus because of the Father's doing. He says, it's by Him, Paul says, that you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All those big $20 theological words that are foundational to our Christianity are there. Why? Paul says in verse 31, it's so that we can't boast in ourselves, but instead we can only boast in the Lord. You can't set yourself apart. You can't sanctify Yourself, God, the Father, by His sheer mercy 
And grace is the only one that can set you apart as sanctified in Christ Jesus. And sanctification, folks, is to be exemplified in living a holy life. Paul says, you don't have to go there, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, he says, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Cleanses himself from what things, Paul? Well, for the answer to this question, we must look at the context of 2 Timothy 2. Paul means that we are to cleanse ourselves from worldliness, from wrangling, these are his words, wrangling about words and participating in useless arguments about the word of God. He says we are to avoid worldly and empty chatter about so-called doctrines, okay? We are to abstain from wickedness and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Then he goes on, we are to be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, gentle in correcting those who are in opposition to these things, with the hope that God would grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And we, he says, along with others everywhere, are to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says is their Lord and ours. So what I want you to see there is the separation. We're a peculiar people unto God. We're strange. Okay, in verse three of our text, First Corinthians one three, we see that grace and peace come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the form of Paul's prayerful greeting to his readers. If you look at verse three, then in verse four, Paul thanks God the Father for His Father's grace that was given to his readers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 5 and 6, we are enriched, Paul says, enriched in Christ. How? In all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ is confirmed among us, more on what this testimony is that Paul speaks of later, um, as I said, we're just doing an overview. But those are the things that he says enrich us. Now, in verse 7, we are told that this testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in us for a reason. It was so that we are not lacking in any gift as we await eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. More on that later too. Okay, 
who in verse 8, we're talking God, will confirm us to the end as blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord. And in verse 9, we see that God the Father is faithful to us. How? He calls us into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Remember John 6.44, no man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's a scripture you should keep in mind as you go through these, these verses that pertain to salvation in Christ. The Father initiates it. The Father executes it and brings it to fruition. Then in verse 10, we read, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unity, not division, unity, okay? Next week, we will interpret these verses, as I said, in greater detail. All that I wanted you to see this morning is that everything Paul says that we are or should be, is either in Christ, from Christ, through Christ, or to Christ. Please read 1 Corinthians 1 this week and pay specific attention to how often and more so in what way Paul brings Christ into every single thing he says in this chapter. Amen? Let's pray.